0: at orderct.com slash easter24. Humor is steeped in belief. How we see the world shapes our jokes, and jokes shape how we see the world. I'm Ben Fort, and I've spent years creating comedy and practicing the Christian faith. These two worlds have different languages, and this miniseries is a place where they can talk. Whether you're a Christian, a comic, or both, Let's explore where humor connects to your funny beliefs. Last year, I yelled at a bird puppet. A crowd of people stared and laughed. It was on purpose. I put Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven to music for a comedy show. And a weird thing happened. I got more encouraging comments from performing that song than I did from producing 19 episodes of a fictional podcast. The Raven took work to write, record, and memorize poetry, but for the most part, the process fit comfortably in the margins of my time. The podcast was a major source of stress and ranged from part-time to full-time for the better part of a year. The response did not equal the work. My friend listened to both. I asked him about this, and the word he used was effortless. For some reason, when I yell po-lyrics, it appears effortless, and that makes for better comedy. Comedy is a paradox. It takes a lot of work to create and cultivate, to learn, practice, and fail, to discover your voice, find trusted collaborators, and connect with an audience. And yet, many of the best bits, jokes and stories seem to fall out of the sky. There are songs that just come to me after taking just 20 minutes to write a first draft it crushes in the writer's room and on stage. There are times I can receive these moments as a gift and think, wow, this isn't from me. I want to be a good steward of this gift. But other times, I feel like the older brother in Jesus's parable of the prodigal son, that I deserve the gift, that I deserve it more often, that I should be rewarded for the sketch that took five drafts, the scripts I had to throw away, the nights and mornings, months and years, the stress and anxiety attacks, all the risk. As the older brother, I stand away from the house. I see my father walking to me and I blurt out, Where's my reward? I did what I was supposed to. I moved to Chicago. I I trained at Second City. I produced shows. And he gently says, I know. Come home. Writing this miniseries wasn't effortless. I've revisited painful parts of my story, and I've been reminded of mistakes and foolishness. I've felt more like the younger brother, full of guilt and shame for the things I've done, the choices I've made. I think about my arrogance on my college sketch team, in Chicago and with each of my projects, the weeds in my soul, the harmful jokes I've made, the inequality I've accepted, things I've done on purpose and things I've done on accident. I wish I could download what I know now into my 20 year old brain. Could I have been more successful at comedy? or even focused on my career instead? Could I be happier now? It makes me feel so far from home. The things I've done, it's not how they're done at my father's house. I need to go back, to, to pay penance, to do better, to make things right. And as I approach home, my father barrels toward me, wraps his arms around me and declares, welcome home, my son. He leads me home. And when I'm home, I can see that it's all a gift. The material that comes easy, the material that takes extra work, the work that shows me what I can do, the work that shows me what I can't do, having to rely on other people. It's a gift when 10 people show up and when 60 people show up. It's a gift when your work connects with a stranger or just friends, 100 or two. At home, I can see that laughter itself is the Father's gift. An excessive blessing without a practical purpose. Other things can bring relief in the darkness. Other things can connect us with each other and reveal our faults. But laughter does these things with playfulness and joy. This is such good news. At first, but then I feel more shame than when I arrived now that i know the sheer goodness of these gifts i can't believe i've squandered them i can't be here not after what i've done i quietly leave the house and look at the road i came from i can't go that way i see the shadow of my older brother out by the barn no i've been there too maybe there's a third way a place i can go and be better and make things right and I feel a hand on my shoulder. It's dad. I don't want to look at him. I don't want him to look at me. We stand together and look at the road. Finally, I squeak out. Hey, I... Um, he pats my shoulder and says, I know. Come home. We go in the house and I see the other people here. Zacchaeus the white-collar criminal who exploited good people. Paul, the religious fundamentalist who condoned the killing of good people. They're here, knowing what they've done. They know he knows what they've done, and they're here, fully known and fully at home. I see how he looks at them. He's so glad they're here. It's the same way he looks at me. I think about my brother outside. I think he'd like it here. I look out the window and I see two shadows by the barn, his and my father's. There are 99 people at this party and every night dad leaves to go be with the one. Right now, I'm limited in how much comedy I can make. I'm a stay at home dad with two kids under four, which was very limiting. Even before COVID other parents tell me this is a particularly hard season and a temporary one. As my kids get older, some things will get easier. Odds are, they're right, that one day I'll have more capacity to pursue larger, more involved projects like I used to. Maybe with some work and grace, I could make comedy in a professional role. But maybe I won't. It assumes mental and physical health for me and my family, that circumstances don't require an exhausting or high bandwidth commitment or job. My mom has a gift for ministry and teaching the Bible. She spent her 20s pastoring students before marrying my dad and sharing his ministry as a pastor. She was in this same hard temporary stage as a parent when my older brother's health declined to the point where he couldn't walk or talk. As a special needs parent, that capacity never opened up. The majority of her life has largely been in service of her family and she is the most joyful person i know she doesn't have happiness based on circumstance or achievement but a joy that can blossom in suffering which do i want she has this joy because she trusts in a god who was in the beginning unlimited but for our sake chose limits and walked among us here on earth jesus had limits of sleep hunger, thirst, being in one place at one time, in a body that could be beaten and killed. He was limited by his disciples, his collaborators, if you will, who often showed a total misunderstanding of his message before abandoning him when he needed them most. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our limits, but one who has had our same limitations. In the wilderness, he was tempted to pursue popularity, validation, fame, and success, yet he did not sin. This high priest knows the wrong side of wicked laughter. He was mocked by his opponents, by Herod and soldiers and a dying criminal on the next cross over. He was mocked at his lowest and even at his most glorious during a miracle when he told a room that this little girl is not dead. Jesus was subject to the dark side of humor, yet he did not sin. He welcomed the ridiculed and the stereotype. He pursued the laughingstock. Women and children and people who were poor, disabled, and outcast could bring their whole selves to this gentle man without fear of ridicule. His humor was good, and one day there will be no more mocking and scoffing. No more humor that demeans, marginalizes, and excludes. Tears will be wiped away, and those who weep today will laugh. Our laughs will be joyful and true, and we'll look back on these good earthly laughs and wonder how this can be so much better. But that's not today. For now, we pray to our Father that the laughter of His kingdom will come, and His will for humor will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for the relief we need today. We ask him to forgive our mocking as we forgive those who mock against us. Humor has so many temptations, and we pray that he'll deliver us. It gets dark here, but we're not alone. We have a gracious father, a great high priest. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness, and we have each other. We need each other to help us see when a joke hurts when the categories of jokes hurt, and to give us the relief of laughter when life hurts. If you want to be a beacon of grace in this world, if you want to give people a taste of home, be generous with your laughs. When the joke isn't on human worth, when the target is fine, be generous. From a practical standpoint, Laughter is useless, but somehow it's a barometer for belonging, for home. When you're in spaces where you can't joke or laugh like yourself, you're not home. I'm blessed that I can laugh like myself in my family and marriage, but that's not the case for everyone. Maybe you. My other spaces have been mixed. Work, church, even the comedy community. Some spaces are so serious that there's no laughter anywhere. Some places are marked by that weird corporate, ha ha you're so funny, where they clearly don't get it. Some places joke, but in a different humor language than yours. You adapt and roll with it, but you're not home. Some places use humor as boundary markers, a tool for exclusion. Some places as a weapon. When we can't joke and laugh like ourselves, we can't fully be ourselves. But all that can change with a warm laugh. Laughter is less instinctual than we think. Sometimes it bursts out of us, but more often we run a split-second calculus. Oh, that was funny. Or was it? We search for a clue, a nearby snicker or smile. Someone else's laughter disarms us and grants permission to trust our hunch even if we miss the chance to laugh at this joke we're looking for the next one and you can be that clue it's vulnerable to laugh alone because what if we're wrong in the moment it can be easier to let the joke drown in silence than to risk drowning with it to let the joke teller drown in silence the father leaves the 99 for the one You know what puts a comedian at ease? Confident early laughers. It's like a laugh track. And everyone else pays closer attention because they want to get it, to see it. Those early laughs can be the difference between an okay show and magic. This happens in groups. A generous laugh is the difference between a good time and maybe next time. Between fun and embarrassment, funny and unfunny, acceptance and rejection. Someone may be awkwardly trying to joke in the style of the group and your laugh may unlock their weirder, funnier side. Someone may have been told a long time ago that this part of their image-bearing personhood is not okay. A generous laugh says, I see you, I see that part of you, and I'm so glad you're here. It could be the thing that makes someone feel at home. That sounds like grace and good priestly work in a hurting world. And that's it for Funny Beliefs. I love talking about this stuff, so please let's keep the conversation going. I'm on Twitter at Ben Fort Worth, like my name and city, or you can email me at my millennial email address Ben M. Fort, M as in Michael, at gmail.com. And if you're interested in comedy and don't know how to start, uh, I'd love to be your guidance counselor. I've had a wonderful team here. Jonathan Clausen edits and produces all the podcasts for Christ and Pop Culture. This isn't the only one. Uh, please check out Seeing and Believing and Persuasion. Aaron and Tyler have been amazing editors and encouragers. Seth Haney, of course, with the joyful cover art. Tina let me record weekly at Leaves Book and Tea Shop. This show was created and written by me, Ben Fort, and I did all the music. And you, you listened to this. I really can't thank you enough for that. Go, create, cultivate, and laugh.